May 20th, 1988, Hubbard Woods Elementary School was quiet as students worked on a bicycle safety test until a mentally ill woman comes through the door with a gun. This is the story of Lori Dan. Hello, good afternoon. It is Friday, April 14th. I am, it's been two weeks uh, since my last episode. We've had some family um, things going on and a death in the family. So um, uh, we did the funeral yesterday. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful ceremony yesterday. And um, I am back. (laughs) So trying to get through this week and this weekend. And I wanted to bring you this story. Um, And it is one I'm sure you've heard about. I am drinking Java Mama Cad Bunny. Now this is our Easter, part of our Easter collection. I'm not sure I drank it yet on the show. Um, I got it in the K-Cup version and it's so good. Very, very good. It's, it's, um, I'm not a big fan of the Cad, Cad, Cadbury eggs. I almost said Cad Bunny. And I may have said this before on the show and I'm probably repeating myself, but I do like their caramel um, eggs. And this is the caramel version. I'm pretty sure because I'm pretty sure it says that in the description on the site. I do leave the, the link in the show notes so you can go directly to uh, the Java Mama site and just look and shop. I'm pretty sure the Easter collection is still on there. I'm not for sure about that. I forgot to check. Um, but there is many, many other coffees in that collection. Hmm. Okay. Very good. Oh, very yummy. Okay. (laughs) This is Kelly, of course, and this is Kelly's Coffee and Crime Chat. I am going to talk about Lori Dan. Um, This is a case I remember when it happened. Matter of fact, I had just graduated high school at this time. So, um, but I kind of forgot about it and I know lately it's been horrible with these school shootings and I really wish these would stop. I think if I had kids, I'd probably homeschool them, even though I'm probably not qualified to homeschool, but, um, I would just worry about my kids all the time if they had to go to school nowadays. Cause when I was in school, I never even thought of this happening and it didn't happen as often. It doesn't seem like back then, but this is now she is her, Lori Dan's maiden name was Lori Wasserman. She was born October 18th, 1957 in Chicago. Now she was born to a Jewish family, which I did not know. Um, it, she grew up in a northern suburb of Chicago called Glencoe. Um, she is the daughter of Norman and Edith Joy. Uh, Norman was an accountant. I'm not sure if Edith Joy, um, she may have been a stay-at-home mom. I did not get a, I did not see a place of employment for her or what she did. Um, Lori actually was a very attractive, I will have um, 
pictures up on my Instagram and Facebook, which is also in the show notes. And she had some really nice pictures, uh, the photos that I found of her. Um, I did read in one source um, that her parents, she was an awkward, timid um, I think teenager, probably I'm pretty sure teenager and her parents fixed her with plastic surgery. I read that in one of the sources and I, it just kind of made my mouth drop. I think that was in Murderpedia. I read that. I also used the, um, source, uh, jewage.org. That's J E W A G E and Wikipedia, uh, page murder of Nick Corwin. That was the Wikipedia page, and I'm going to talk about him more at the end of this. So, um, Lori Dan, Lori Wasserman, she graduated from New Trier, T R I E R High School in Winnetka, Illinois, in 1975. She always had poor grades, but she was able to go to Drake University in Des Moines, Iowa. And when she went there, her grades had was going up improving. So then she was able to transfer to the University of Arizona. She had goals to become a teacher. I, I, I found that kind of ironic, but that was her goal. She started dating a pre-med student and um, it was going okay at the beginning, but then she became very controlling. Um, the summer of 1977, she went to the University of Wisconsin in Madison because the relationship with her boyfriend was failing and she ended up going to University of Wisconsin in Madison and she took a home economics course, also known as home ec. Um, I was kind of surprised at that. In 1980, she moved back home with her mom and dad. Then she went to Northwestern University but dropped out. She never earned a degree. She went to all these schools never earned a degree. So, um, I don't understand why she went to so many. Maybe she kept changing her mind. I don't know. September of 1982, she met and married Russell Dan. He was an executive in an insurance broker firm. Now the marriage was doomed right away because Russell saw her, his family also saw her as a obsessive and compulsive she had very there was a weird, weird behavior she would leave trash all over the house and I'm gonna tell you what when I go through this there's all kinds of other odd behavior going on and I wish I could have dug up more about her childhood um, because she went to see a psychiatrist a short time after um, Russell's family saw all these weird behaviors going on and um, the psychiatrist um, of course, it was her upbringing that they came to the conclusion to that was the cause of her behavior, uh, her childhood, which I was so hoping to find out. And I couldn't find anything online about Lori Dan's childhood. If anybody knows more about this, I'm interested in finding out what the deal was and how her parents raised her. Um, but she ended up separating from Russell Dan in October of 1985. Um, now, she said he was abusive to her and called the police many times um, because Russell's family, Russell's family, excuse me, Russell's family called the police many times because they were receiving harassing phone calls. Okay, now this is before caller ID. I remember a time you did not know who was calling you. You didn't. I mean, you had an answering machine back then, but 
you didn't know the number that you were getting calls from. So um, I think caller ID was the best thing ever invented. Uh, besides remote start on the vehicles. <laughs> that was the other thing that was the best thing ever invented. But she, um, she accused Russell in 1986 of vandalizing her parents' home, which is where she resided. And uh, she went out and got a Smith & Wesson saying it was for self-defense. So that's what she told, I guess, the, the person she bought it off of at the, at the place she bought it from. Um, the police tried to get her parents. Now, this is the police. They tried to get her parents to have her give up the gun, but it never happened. Now, I don't know if they tried to persuade her and she wouldn't do it or they just didn't try. I don't know. But uh, she never did give up her gun, her Smith & Wesson. Okay, August of 1986, she contacted the ex-boyfriend remember the pre-med student that she started dating while she was in college um well she contacted him and told him that she had his baby he didn't believe her of course so she retaliated against him by calling the hospital where he was a resident and said that he raped her in the emergency room uh she would just it seems like there's a pattern here and you'll see as I'm telling this story that she will go back to people from her past. Um, I understand revenge. I understand you want to have revenge on people that wronged you. Believe me, I know that more than anybody, but this is just, I wish that she could have gotten some kind of help, better help because it doesn't sound like she was getting any better help than what she did. Uh, or, you know, a better psychiatrist or a better doctor or something to help her. Um, the following month, Ru Russell Dan called the police claiming that he had been stabbed with an ice pick while he slept. And I read on, um, one, I think it was Murderpedia, that the ice pick missed his heart by an inch. So he was stabbed in the chest. Police came to the conclusion that it was self-inflicted when he failed a polygraph. So they're basing this on a polygraph that he failed. Um, oh, and his attitude toward police. He had a really bad attitude toward them. Um, he also never saw his attacker. So they couldn't say that Lori Dan did this. I did read that she purchased an ice pick, though, right before this happened. I don't know if they found it CSR on surveillance or found a receipt or what, but she did purchase an ice pick right before this. Russell and his family agreed. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> I say the right word here. Russell and his family continued getting harassing phone calls. They were mostly hangups. And um, Lori Dan was actually arrested for phone calls to his sister. Um, but the charges were dropped. I'm not sure exactly if they couldn't prove it or what the deal was. But um, they tried to get her on the phone calls. Charges were dropped. Before the divorce was finalized in April of 1987, Lori accused Russell of rape. No physical signs of rape, but she passed two polygraphs. She must have been an ace at passing polygraph because I would think that would be hard, especially when it's not true. Um, again, no charges were filed on that. May of 1987, Lori accused Russell of placing a device in her home that would cause a fire. Um, something like a grenade. I didn't hear exactly what kind of device it was, but, um, again, no charges filed. She accused him of doing that. 
I have no idea where this device turned up, if she if she already had it and said that he placed it in her house. I don't know. But her parents believed and supported her. Okay. This is denial. You're going to believe that this is true after all of her lies and everything else. I don't understand that at all. I mean, I'm sorry, but no. Um, <laughs> I could I could not... Uh, I know my parents wouldn't believe me if this was me. Put it that way. They would know. Now, wait, she's lied about this. She's lied about that. Now, come on. Um, another psychiatrist started treating her. <coughs> excuse me. For obsessive compulsive disorder and a chemical imbalance. The doctor said Lori was not suicidal or homicidal. At least he didn't think she was. This was his diagnosis. He, she wasn't suicidal or homicidal. Okay, um, later she became a babysitter of all things. Now, um, some of these people that she babysitted for made calls to police and complained about her stealing clothes and food from the home and damaging their furniture. Um, whoops, where are my notes here? <laughs> um, no charges were filed, but her dad paid for damages in one of the cases. So her dad basically paid for damages, but they still believed and supported her. I'm taking it. Um, summer of 1987, she lived in Evanston, Illinois. Now, um, it was a university, but she took no classes. There was a sublet apartment, which I didn't know you could do that if you weren't taking classes. But um, so maybe because it was a sublet that maybe she was allowed to. But people noticed her riding the elevators up and down for hours. She would also wear rubber gloves be before touching metal and leaving meat in sofa cushions to rot. Oh, my gosh. That. I don't understand. Okay, the elevator, the rubber gloves. Okay, that ain't all, you know, that is strange behavior, but leaving meat and cushions to rot. That I do not understand. Um, fall of 1987, Lori said that Russell Dan was threatening her by, the, by phone calls and that he had sexually assaulted her in a parking lot. Of course, police did not believe her. Weeks later, she purchased a Smith & Wesson 32 revolver. I don't know what happened to her other gun, but um, Smith & Wesson 32 revolver. She was getting worse, so her family helped her move to Madison, Wisconsin uh, to get treatment. So they helped her with that. So they were helping her to get treatment. So she moved there to live and um, she was observed by a psychiatrist who specialized in obsessive compulsive disorder. And they also put her on meds and they increased the dosage. So she was on, and I know it was more than one medication um, that she was on, but there was no change in she showed no change as she continued riding elevators for long periods of time, changing TV channels over and over, and had some obsession with good and bad numbers. Bulimic was also a concern. I don't know. Uh, she was, maybe she just was, I know bulimic is eating and then vomiting right after. So that was also a concern. Um, she made another purchase, a 22 Beretta in December of 1987 at the end of that month. So it was the end of 1987. 
March 1988, she stopped all doctor appointments and prepared for the attacks. Now, this should have been a sign right here. She stopped all doctor appointments. This is pre-internet. There was no internet. So she couldn't look anything up. So she stole library books on poisons and diluted chemicals from a lab, including arsenic. So she had her stolen library books that she can look all this stuff up. She diluted chemicals for poison. And her doctor and father both tried to get her to admit herself to a hospital, but she refused. Um, she had, was, they, they found that she had stolen wigs and clothes to disguise herself. She was also doing that. And that's when they tried to get her to go back into a hospital, admit yourself, you know, she wouldn't do it. So she continued with hang up phone calls to Russell, Dan's family and her former babysitting clients. Then they became death threats. Her ex-boyfriend and his wife also got threatening phone calls. Like I, like I said, now I don't know. This was 88 again. Yeah, caller ID didn't come in until like early 90s, at least in this area. So um, I'm not sure if, while well, threatening call, phone calls, I'm sure they knew it was her. Uh, Hang-ups are hard to um, prove. But uh, May of 1988, now this is leading up to the attacks, um, a letter was sent to the hospital where the ex-boyfriend worked, the pre-med student, uh, and the letter accused him of, you guessed it, sexual assault. So she wrote this letter and sent it to the hospital. Um, it wasn't confirmed that it was from her though, because evidently it wasn't signed, which is odd. Maybe she wrote it as someone else because it's accusing her but later it wasn't confirmed that it was from her until later um the fbi became involved because this happened across state lines so i'm not sure exactly where the ex-boyfriend was at this time um well i guess it was where she met him at the uh um des moines at the uh, college that she went in, into <laughs> excuse me when she was in des moines iowa but i'm not sure exactly where he resided but i'm thinking it was in iowa um, because yeah, since it was across state lines, the FBI was able to get involved. A federal indictment was prepared against her. Um, the ex-boyfriend was scared though about publicity and worried about her getting bail because then he thought that she would come after him. Um, since she'd already threatened him, you know, she was, he was afraid that she would get bail. So he wanted to wait until other charges were filed in Illinois before he did anything. Um, in May of 1988, again, a janitor found Lori Dan in the fetal position inside a garbage bag in a trash room. This resulted in her leaving and moving back with her parents. So she's back in Glencoe where she grew up. Um, leading up to May 20th in 1988, that was the day of the attacks, but leading up to the attacks, Lori got together some juice boxes and rice cereal snacks poisoned with diluted arsenic. She stole all of these, these juice boxes and snacks while she was in Madison, Wisconsin. Um, cause that's where she was before she went back home. So she, um, sent them to a, this is what she did with them. She sent them to a, to former acquaintances. 
She sent him to a former acquaintance, former babysitting clients, and her doctor and Russell Dan and others. Um, She personally delivered some other ones. Now, she mailed these through the United States Postal Service. Poison. Uh, She personally delivered other juice and snack gifts, quote-unquote gifts or samples, to other people. And some of these people hadn't seen her in years and she's personally delivering them. Back then we had a thing called a phone book and you can look up people's names and find out their addresses. If, if they had a listed phone number, it was real easy to find people's addresses. I know you can probably Google now, but a lot of times the Google, you'll look up an old address and back then the phone book was always updated. <coughs> Excuse me. Oh, just took a drink. <laughs> Because you, um, I think you got a phone book every year, if I'm not mistaken, delivered to your house. (coughs) It was either every year or every two years, excuse me, if I can remember back then. But, um, so I'm thinking that's how she got their addresses to personally deliver all of this stuff. Um, even... She even went to fraternity houses in Northwestern, back to Northwestern University, where she had went before. Um, some of these leaked and were not good tasting, so they weren't consumed. Plus, the poison was so watered down, it didn't do much to anybody, so nobody got physically sick from it. Um, about 9 a.m. that morning, she went to the Rush home. That's spelled R-U-S-H-E. So I'm guessing it's Rush. These were former clients that she used to babysit for, and she went to pick up their two youngest kids. Now, I don't know why they let her take them, but they told her they were moving away. So she decided to take them to Ravinia, it's R-A-V-I-N-I-A Elementary School in Highland Park, Illinois. Why they let her take them, I have no idea. So she took these kids and in the car and she believed that her ex-sister-in-law's two sons went to this elementary school uh she left the two kids in the car before entering the school thank goodness and she attempted a firebomb in a hallway i don't know if it was a um a grenade or what it was but it was a firebomb bomb sorry bomb in a hallway and it was later discovered by students so a teacher had extinguished it so nothing happened she then drove to a daycare and this was they did this after she left so she probably didn't even realize that it didn't go off but then she drove to a daycare where her ex-sister-in-law's daughter I'm guessing the same ex-sister-in-law daughter attended but the staff stopped her from entering because she had a plastic gas can full of gasoline thank goodness they stopped her then she took two of these kids home the two kids that she had in the car home and gave them poison milk but this is they spat it out because it sucked (laughs) that's my own words but they did spit it out because it was not any good but um thank goodness she took them home these kids could have been dead that's why I thought she could have killed them why the parents let her take them I don't know but anyway she went inside, lured the two kids into the basement, and used the gasoline to set fire to the house, trapping the mother and the two kids inside. But they were able to escape. So she used that gas can to set their house on fire, since she, I guess because she couldn't get into the daycare. 
She then went three and a half blocks to Hubbard Woods Elementary with three handguns. She went into the second grade classroom briefly and then left. I don't know if anybody saw her or not, but she saw a boy in the corridor. She pushed him into the boy's bathroom and shot him with a Beretta. Her Smith & Wesson jammed when she tried to shoot two other boys, and so she threw that into the garbage with the ammunition. The two boys, the other boys ran out, um, alerting everybody what was going on. Lori re-entered the second grade classroom and ordered all the children into the corner. The teacher tried to, teacher refused and tried to disarm her, which is amazing. That is awesome. Um, you know, trying to protect the kids. So the teacher tried to disarm her, but the, the Beretta became unloaded in that struggle. So they actually unloaded the Beretta in the struggle. Um, and then the other gun she threw away. So this leaves her with one gun that she drew from her waistband. It was a 32 Smith and Wesson. She aimed it at the students. She shot five, five of them, killing eight-year-old Nick Corwin and wounding two girls and two boys before leaving in her car. But she was stopped from a funeral recession. That's what happened when she was trying to get away. I mean, I'm sitting here reading this going, boy, this woman has no luck. I mean, I mean, it's, it's amazing that all these obstacles were stopped trying to stop her. And I, I think it's awesome. But um, she was stopped from a funeral recession. So what does she do? She drives her car backwards down a near, nearby street. But it was but it dead ended into a private driveway. She got out made her way through the woods to the Andrew Andrew family. Now, she had taken off her shorts. I'm probably going to find this in my notes, but I remembered that she took off her shorts because they were bloody and she wrapped a garbage can, or garbage can, garbage bag around her waist, I think it said, or legs or waist or something. Um, so she made her way to the Andrew family and she entered the house and found a woman in her and her 20-year-old son in the kitchen. She claimed that she had been raped. It's always rape with Lori Dan. It's always raped. And so she, and she shot the guy. So they, they of course sympathized with her and told her that it was self-defense and that she needed to call the police, that the police would help her not to fear the police. So I'm guessing she was probably protesting calling the police. Mrs. Andrew gave um, Lori a pair of her daughter's pants because since she didn't have her, her you know, her shorts on. When she put on the pants, the son the son's name was Philip. He got the Beretta. He got a hold of the Beretta and told Lori to call her family. She called her mother, and her mother already heard that the police were looking for her. She knew she did something bad, and the police were trying to find her. Her mother couldn't come and get her, though, because she didn't have her car. So I'm taking the Lori's father had the car, and her mom couldn't come and get her. Um, Lori would not give up her her second gun. I thought, no, wait a minute here. Oh, the Beretta got the Beretta. That was the one that they unloaded in the struggle. That's the one that Philip got. Well, she still had the Smith and Wesson. So she wouldn't give it, give up her second gun, which was the Smith and Wesson. And Mr. Andrew came home during this and he tried to persuade her to give it up, but she would not. So he left the house. Lori ordered the son, the son, Philip to stay. Police approached the house. So she shot Philip in the chest when the police were approaching the house. I'm guessing that the father went and got help when he left. So what I'm thinking, um, 
I'm not sure what happened as to why they, nobody called the police. Oh, somebody had to have called the police if they were approaching. So I'm guessing it was the father. Um, so police had, appro- had approached the house. She shot Philip in the chest, but he was able to escape. After he got out of the house, he collapsed. He was rescued, though, by police and ambulance. So he was okay. Um, Lori then went up the stairs. This is when the house was completely surrounded. Um, her parents and Russell Dan were brought to the house. So they had arrived. 7 p.m. An assault team entered the house and found Lori's body in the bedroom with a gunshot to the mouth. So the only... Now, I'm sure the mother... I'm guessing that the mother had... I, I don't even... I didn't even read if the mother had escaped or what happened. But so none of the Andrew family were killed. The only death in this whole thing was Nick Corwin from the second grade class. Um, now, because no other school shooting had received such wide coverage, Nick Corwin's murder is sometimes called the first school shooting, but this is wrong. There were school shootings before this. I know there was one in the 70s, late 70s in San Diego. And um, there was from a female who lived across the street from the school and she fired from over t- over at her, the house, parents' house that she was living in. Um, and then um, the very first school shooting I found was in Pennsylvania. And it was July 26th of 1764. Um so that was the first first school shooting that I found. It can be looked up online. Okay, so all the other victims, they were in um, sh- the ones that were shot. They lived. They were um, injured, but they they miraculously lived, which is amazing. Um, there is a book about this called "The Murder of Innocence" by Eric Zorn. I think it's spelled. It says Z O R N. And there's a TV movie of the same name, which I don't remember. It had Valerie Bertinelli in it. Um, her name was changed to Lori Wade, and and Russell Dan even coached Valerie Bertinelli to prepare for the role. I do not remember that. Uh, Murder of Innocence. I might have to look that up. Um, uh, Nick Corwin was born April 9th of 1980 to Joel and Linda Corwin. Um, he had just turned eight years old. He was remembered for his sportsmanship, kindness, and leadership. His schoolmates and friends created a book for him called The Gifts That Nicholas Gave. This was shortly after his death. He was interred, I-N-T-E-R-R-E-D, at Memorial Park Cemetery in Skokie, Illinois. I wanted to talk about him because, um... He was uh, the one that really should be talked about. I couldn't find much about his life. I mean, he was only eight, but it's very sad that this person had this mental, these mental issues and was so mentally ill that she killed this eight-year-old boy for no reason, none. And all these other other kids that were injured and in the in this whole thing, in these attacks. It's, it, it, it's very sad. Um, now, Lori Dan, here's a little bit more about her, just for, you know, 
information I found. She was briefly investigated in the Tylenol murders in Chicago. In the 80s, the, the Tylenol murders, I remember that. And that's that's covered by quite a few podcasts. Death Do, Death Do Us Part did one. And I really enjoyed uh, that podcast. And there's a couple other ones that have done that that case. I'm not sure if Going West has done it. I cannot remember, but it seemed like there was another real good podcast that did that. Um, two newspaper clippings were found in her pocket after she died. Um, one was about a guy who killed two people by random in a public building. And the other article was about a depressed young man who tried to commit suicide in the same way she did, but he lived. He found that his brain injury from this cured him of his obsessive compulsive disorder. That's really interesting. That just really got my interest when I read that. At the time of her suicide, she was taking a unlicensed drug. I'm sorry, I don't know if I'll be able to pronounce this. It's called anaphranil, and I don't know if I'm saying it right, A-N-A-F-R-A-N-I-L. The generic name is chromopranin, C-H, I'm trying to read my own handwriting here, C-H-O-M-I-P-R-A-M-I-N-E. That's the spelling of the generic name for that. The effects were initially considered as contributing factors of her mental state. It was an unlicensed drug. I just wanted to to talk about that. I thought that that was very interesting to find out. Um, I did not even look up the drug I was going to, and I I, I forgot about it. But um, that was some interesting facts. That is the story of Lori Dan. Her case can be looked up online anywhere. You can find out any. Inf- I'm going to have pictures up on my Instagram and my Facebook page. Uh, that is both are include included in the show notes if you want to follow me on Instagram or join my private group on Facebook. Um, I also have my email. I can be privately emailed for any suggestions on cases. I try to stay in the Midwest or in the surrounding states. So this was also suggested by Sarah. I forgot to mention that at the beginning. Thank you, Sarah. And I'm also open for some more cases. seems like uh, she knows quite a bit. She used to live up in that area and has given me quite a few um, suggestions. So I do need, need suggestions. I try to do these every Friday. Um, so I always end my podcast with some, um, suggestions on what I've seen and of course lately I haven't been watching much I did watch on which was on ID at one time and I don't remember this so I got it on Discovery Plus the crimes that changed us is the name of it and there's eight episodes very good the first one is Andrea Yates and then there's of course the Menendez brothers um, Rodney King um, man, it's good. Every episode is very well told in this documentary. And I hope they come out with a second season. It was on ID and I just, I don't remember even seeing it, seeing it, but it's the crimes that changed us. Highly recommended. It is on Discovery Plus. Um, I am watching Rabbit Hole with Kiefer Sutherland. Pretty good, but it's one that you really have to pay attention to. There's a new episode out every Sunday. So you got to wait <clears throat> for the next one. Um, but yeah, that's called rabbit hole. Um, I don't think I've been watching much of anything else this week. It's been a hard week. 
I'm so glad to have this time off work. Uh, It's just been, I I mean, I'm glad that we had a beautiful ceremony and uh, for my mother-in-law and tonight is her birthday. This is her birthday today. So we're going to celebrate tonight for her birthday. So it's been a beautiful, beautiful week with the weather. And I'm so glad for her that this week has been very, very nice. And um, I want to wish everybody a wonderful weekend. Stay safe and be kind to each other. And appreciate your loved ones, your family, because you never know when it's going to be the last day you see them. You just never know when that last day is going to come. So give somebody a hug today. Tell them you love them and show some kindness. And I will see you next time.